Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the Scriptures. Yeah, we love them. We do. And we're here to talk to you about them today. We wanted to follow along with the uh, Come Follow Me for Individuals and Families manual. And uh, so we'll be meeting, meeting with you every week to talk about the week's lesson. But before we jump in, I wanted to talk about the sections before the, come, the, the lessons for the Come Follow Me. Uh, they have a couple of really good um, uh, segments to read, and I encourage you to read through those. Uh, but there's a couple of quick things that I wanted to point out. First of all, in a section called Conversion is Our Goal, the very last paragraph uh, tells us, in our efforts to live, learn, and teach the gospel, we should first and foremost seek the companionship of the Spirit. This goal should govern our choices and guide our thoughts and actions. We should seek after whatever invites the influence of the Spirit and reject whatever drives that influence away. For we know that if we can be worthy of the presence of the Holy Ghost, we can also be worthy to live in the presence of Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is going to be some very powerful advice for all of us as we're going through the Scriptures. We cannot hope to understand what we're reading uh, without, without the Spirit. And so something important to keep in mind there. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, in the early section using, uh, in using the Come, Follow Me manual, there's a little snippet that says, Do I need to follow the schedule? Okay, and that little paragraph says, The schedule will help you finish reading the Book of Mormon by the end of the year. In addition, following the same schedule as others in your ward can lead to meaningful experiences of church. But don't feel bound by the schedule. It is simply a guide to help you pace yourself. The important thing is that you are learning the gospel individually and as a family. And, and with us, certainly. You know, we're, we're glad to have you listening, and we're happy to uh, go over this. We will be following the schedules. The episodes will be uh, following in line with the schedules. But if you fall behind, don't worry about it. Make sure that you're still just in the scriptures. That's the important thing. And as one other point of encouragement before we dive into the scriptures, uh, there is a really neat uh, segment right beforehand called Prophetic Promises. And there are four promises uh, from prophets about the importance of reading the Book of Mormon and, and prophetic promises that are given for uh, regular study of the Book of Mormon. And I encourage you to read those. But we thought we'd just include a little snippet here of some statements uh, made in recent general conferences from our current prophet, uh, President Russell M. Nelson. Yeah. So um, I, I was particularly impressed with uh, the closing remarks this last conference uh, in particular because he said that as you do, and let's we'll talk about in a minute what it is that he's encouraging us to do, uh, General Conference next April will not only be, will, will, will be not only memorable, it will be unforgettable. So what can we do to take, uh, to prepare ourselves so that next General Conference is not just memorable, but unforgettable. One of the things that he encouraged in the paragraph before is to study the Book of Mormon. He said how to ponder questions such as, uh, how would my life be different if my knowledge gained from the Book of Mormon were suddenly taken away? So 
as we ponder questions as we study together, hopefully it will help us to have an even richer understanding of the Book of Mormon as we look at it through different lenses. He offer, also offered some incredible promises, and I'll let him speak for himself. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open, and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life. I promise that as you daily immerse yourself in the Book of Mormon, you can be immunized against the evils of the day, even the gripping plague of pornography and other mind-numbing addictions. Whenever I hear anyone, including myself, say, I know the Book of Mormon is true, I want to exclaim, that's nice, but it's not enough. We need to feel deep the inmost parts of our hearts that the Book of Mormon is unequivocally the Word of God. We must feel it so deeply that we would never want to live even one day without it. I might paraphrase President Brigham Young in saying, I wish I had the voice of seven thunders to wake up the people to the truth and power of the Book of Mormon. Okay, thank you, President Nelson. That, 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 I hope that encourages each one of us. Uh, we were, we're living in some very exciting times, and we're seeing uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, neat changes, and, and there are some very powerful promises in, in those uh, last statements. All right, I think it is time now. Is it time Jay, for the do you scriptures? Think it's time? Can we get I think it's time for the scriptures? Is it time? <clears throat> I think it's time. I'm so very excited. Will, will you start us off? Well, I will, except that it's we're starting with the title page. That's not getting in the scriptures, isn't it? Or Are you sure? is it? Mm. See what I did there? That was I was I, creating I think, excitement. You, you you were you were, you were causing people of... to 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 think, to contemplate. Yeah, there's a lot of contemplating. Well, okay, so here's. Here's the exciting thing about the title page, which, you know, it's, we've, we've all skipped over it lots of times, but it, it's not something that's written in our modern times. That is something that is translated from the last plate in the Book of Mormon when Joseph was translating. Uh, it was written by Moroni for sure, and there's an interesting case to be made that it might have been written by both Mormon and Moroni, and you can click on the, um, the link uh, for this article down below by Daniel Ludlow. Uh, knowing that the title page was written by prophets, that should be our first page that we study as the scriptures. The title page does an amazing, uh, an amazing number of things in some very short paragraphs. It answers an amazing number of questions in these short paragraphs. Uh, what is the Book of Mormon? Who is it written to? Who wrote the book? Why was it written? How was it written? How did it come to us? What's the purpose of the book? What attitude should I approach the book with? What else does it include? Lots of exciting questions. And this might be a great exercise to do with your family or with your class. Uh, take these questions and have each of these students or family members look for the answers in 
the title page. I'll outline them here. Um, you could see that uh, it says the Book of Mormon, an account written by the hand of Mormon upon the plates taken from plates taken upon uh, from the plates of Nephi. Uh, wherefore, it's an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites. Okay, well, that's what it is. You can highlight it this way and, and write that uh, that word there. What is it? Who wrote it? Written by the hand of Mormon. Um, why was it written? It was written, uh, or who is it written to? It was written to the Lamanites, who are a remnant of the house of Israel, and also to Jew and Gentile. Why? It was written by commandment. The Lord commanded that it be written. And by the way, as we look through the Book of Mormon, you can find examples of this. Where do you see places where the Lord commanded these things to be written? Um, how was it written? It was written by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation. Where do we see the spirit of prophecy and revelation being manifest throughout the Book of Mormon, helping bring people to truth? And how does it change their lives? How? Well, it was written and sealed up and hid up under the Lord that they uh, might not be destroyed to come forth by the gift and power of God. Uh, and and, uh, and the interpretation is by the gift of God. That's how we got it. And what else does it include? Well, it includes an abridgment taken from the book of Ether also, which is a record of the people of Jared. And I'm very excited to get to that uh, location. That'll be a fun one. It's, I'm really, that's <laughs> going to be a great time. Which is to show, this is the purpose, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel What? Have your family or students look for what things um, it's supposed to show to the remnant of the house of Israel, what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. Where in the Book of Mormon do we see examples of uh, them showing, the Lord showing, or people showing, or even referencing back? We're going to get to Nephi, who is, is helping to show his brothers what great things the Lord has done for their fathers to help motivate them to do something hard they're being asked to do uh, in their day. Uh, that they may know the covenants. How does the Book of Mormon help us to know the covenants of the Lord so that we are not cast off? Um, and then convincing the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. How does the Book of Mormon do that? We can watch for that as we go through. And what's the attitude with which we should receive it? Well, there it is. If there's faults or mistakes of men, condemn not the things of God. So as we look through the book, um, look for those opportunities to explore, to dig in. And again, these are great questions that you could have your, your students, your families, yourself uh, to answer as you go through the title page. It says so much. I I agree. I, I think I think the uh, uh, main thing that uh, uh, we should bear in mind is that while the church has, uh, over the years, added uh, helpful little uh, pages of explanation and this type of thing, uh, this particular page, uh, that's from the original book. Uh, and by the original book, I mean it's in every edition of the uh, Book of Mormon, as well as it's on the plates themselves. Uh, this is for all intents and purposes, part of the scripture. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's great to see the the summary and introduction uh, based on what the prophets were, were saying. They knew their record best. So in the beginning of the Book of Mormon, we've got 
uh, not only the title page, but the table of contents, the introduction, the testimony of witnesses, the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith, and a brief explanation about the Book of Mormon, how it's structured, how it's put together. And so uh, I'd like to summarize the introduction and the brief explanation about the plates uh, before we get into the other items, because I think that structure can be really helpful. In short, the the Book of Mormon is a record that's written by prophets that came from a biblical time and place, were led to the New World around 600 BC, and were uh, the Lord continued to reveal things to them by the prophecy and, and revelation, and they continued to record those writings just as the prophets did in the Old World. Uh, the crowning moment is the visitation of Jesus Christ, and that's captured both in the Old World and in the New World here in the Book of Mormon. The record was hidden in the Hill Cumorah, and then uh, the uh, Moroni, who is the last author of the book, uh, returned as an angel and uh, showed Joseph where those plates were, gave him commandment regarding them, and they were translated by the gift and power of God. There's an interesting parallel in that simple story uh, to an old world and a new world parallel. If you think of the biblical Moses story of the Ark of the Covenant, you've got the Ark, which is made of gold or covered in gold. And then inside the Ark is the Word of God written on tablets of stone, touched by the finger of God. In contrast, in the New World, and there's kind of a poetry in this, uh, is the notion of an ark of stone, this stone box in which the plates were hidden, an ark of stone inside of which is the Word of God written on plates of gold with interpreters that were touched by uh, the hand of God. That's uh, very interesting. It's kind of a neat I, I, parallel. Yeah, Well, very nice. There are some ideas, uh, if you are interested in, in exploring that further, there's a book called The Lost 116 Pages by Don Bradley. It just came out uh, a little bit ago. I saw that that's just come out. I haven't read that yet. but yeah, I, was, it's... I heard a po uh, uh, podcast interview with him from LDS Perspectives podcast, uh, which I really recommend. It's got some great resources. And that was a year, year and a half ago, and I've been waiting for the book since, and a lot of other people have been uh, waiting as well, but he explores uh, some of those ideas in the first couple of chapters. So uh, there's some really neat parallels with the old and new world, uh, very poetic. Nice. Well, okay, so let's talk about, speaking of the plates, let's talk about the plates here for a minute. We've got, um, <clears throat> we've got uh, a, a main set of plates, and let me describe them here. I'll use some visuals as well. We'll look at the large plates of Nephi, um, sometimes called the other plates. We'll look at the small plates of Nephi, and uh, then the plates of uh, ether, sometimes called the 24 gold plates, um, and then the, the, uh, the plates of brass. So the way the Book of Mormon is structured, and this, by the way, can be a really useful tool to do in your table of contents. Uh, well, let's do it in the table of contents here first. Let's take a look at, uh, if we turn to the table of contents, if you were to look at where the book begins, excluding the title page, um, 1 Nephi 
through omni are on the small plates. And I'll describe what those are in just a minute. And then Words of Mormon is an inset by our narrator or abridger. Uh, There's no narration. There's no abridging in these first books, first Nephi through Omni. Then we have an insert, Words of Mormon. It acts as a bridge between the small plates. And from almost there to the end of the Book of Mormon in Mosiah, you are getting the story through our narrator, through our inspired editor, Mormon. And that's up through uh, Mormon chapter as it well it's it's chapter the last seven. two cha- chapter seven and then the last yeah, two chapters are finished up by Moroni, Moroni his son Moroni inserts his account of ether and then finishes with his own book Moroni so if we go back to the plates you see the large plates here this was a record of the kings it also was a religious record uh Mormon begins the plates by abridging that uh, and there was a significant amount of work done on that. Uh, that's part of the uh, pages that were lost, whether it was 116 or um, Don Bradley makes a fascinating case in his book that it may have been closer to 200 uh, pages. Mm-hmm. Whatever the amount of pages, it ended up being a significant amount of the, of a, of the Book of Mormon that is not in there right now. Those pages are lost. Uh, keep there's there's an interesting theme again getting back to the an old testament idea um not everybody could stroll in to the tabernacle in the holy of holies and look at the ark of the covenant true you know it, not, it, even, it, not even not even the high priest not even the high priest there was a certain time and it's interesting that he goes once a year joseph goes once a year as he's preparing uh to to inherit the plates from moroni the idea that uh, the Lord will show these things to whom he will show them uh, ties into the sacredness of what this was. This wasn't just a book. This was something that's, that would maybe be better understood in a temple setting, a holy of holies, an altar of incense, uh, uh, the candlesticks, that the kinds of things that were sacred would be treated sacred and would only be seen by certain people the way the Lord sets it up. So it isn't sure. just that Martin Harris wants to satisfy curiosity, which he does, but he needs to understand that the Lord will determine who and when and uh, the Lord sets uh, his boundaries. He does. His, yeah, his structure, and uh, there needs to be respect for yeah. that order and, and authority. Absolutely. And we don't seem to have any problem with that when it's something like the Ark of the Covenant. But we maybe aren't making that same connection with the sacredness of this record. That's a very good point. Anyway, uh, uh, as as I mentioned, uh, uh, Martin Harris uh, uh, borrows the uh, pages. Um, They are uh, lost. Uh, He tears up his house and mattresses and other such things to try to find them. He can't find them. Uh, and uh, Moroni comes and uh, uh, reclaims the, the the plates from Joseph, and basically uh, Joseph, uh, I, I have to imagine, feels like he's uh, failed his uh, his 
his job as a, as a, as the prophet, his assignment. Well, and um, I I believe the phrase that he's lost his soul, yes, uh, probably <laughs> indicates that. Well, and by the way, if you're interested in more of the history around this, the the uh, the saints book, the first book that the church put that's out, another really in good that series. Source, yes, that is, and you can uh, get it specifically. Specifically, volume one. Right. Go over this. Uh, and and so. chapter chapter three, I think, is the chapter that covers this. The mm-hmm. uh, so you can you can get that on your gospel library app um, in the church history section, and uh, it's yeah, it's a great. If you haven't read it, no. I really recommend. It's very easy to read, uh, very narrative, and and gives a lot of great insights. Well, we should probably get back to the brief explanation because we. Well said. Uh, this is this is certainly a story that we'll be talking a lot more about next year when we're likely to be covering church history. Very, very uh, true. The, but for the, a last note on that, uh, we are told by Revelation in Doctrine and Covenants section ten, uh, the Lord reveals to Joseph that uh, those that have stolen the uh, uh, plates had every intention of altering them, so that when Joseph would supposedly retranslate this material that they would show, ah, he didn't do it the same way twice and he's not a prophet and this type of thing. Uh, and so... Uh, well, and so the uh, Lord prepared, prepared, the Lord knew what was going to happen. He prepared the way. And we're going to see in chapter 6 and 9 of First Nephi, the Lord telling Nephi that uh, instructing him to make a second account uh, where he summarizes and focuses specifically on the religious uh, experience that they've had. So well, and I think what's what's the most fascinating about that too is uh, it's clear that Nephi and Mormon and others who who have interactions with these small plates really have no idea why they're there. You know, they don't mm-hmm. they don't they, they don't know what the future story will be. Yeah, uh, ex- but except they've, they've uh, Mormon loves them. Uh, you know, Mormon's exactly. gone through it. He's done his abridgment. Uh, you know, he's gone through these um, uh, these accounts, and then he stumbles across this uh, these small plates, and he just thinks they're fantastic. And so he includes them with no editing and, uh, and no commentary. And so you'll see in First Nephi through Omni, it's written in the first person. They'll say things like, I, Nephi, I, Enos, I, Jacob. Um these books are written with no editing and no commentary. And so that's what we'll see in those small plates until the small plates are filled up. Uh, in uh, the book of Omni, Amalekai is the last to write, and then he gives the records to uh, a righteous King Benjamin at the time. And we'll get there in the narrative. But that's where First Nephi through Omni comes from. That was inserted after and uh, uh, covers that material, but through the lens of a first-person account. Uh, anyways, then Mormon comes back in as our, as our uh, narrator and, and inserts some, some transition material in words of Mormon. Uh, and then we go back to the story uh, in Mosiah through uh, Mormon, and he'll continue, to, uh, he'll continue to tell us the story and, and insert commentary and thoughts and Ideas and then eventually uh, it'll finish up like we've talked about with Moroni, including. Now you had a, you had an interesting comment too about uh, the the uh, where where Mormon comes back in, 
um, that uh, we have a, a, an interesting little correction that's on the printer's manuscript of the Book of Mormon. So, okay, so when the, the, the Book of Mormon was being translated, it was, uh, there was a handwritten copy that uh, most scholars refer to as the, the original manuscript. Um, and when this uh, manuscript was ready to be brought to E.B. Grandin's press to, uh, to print, uh, Oliver Cowdery and, and uh, Hiram Smith made a handwritten copy of the original, and that's what that, that copy is, is referred to as the printer's manuscript. Um, but there's an interesting um, correction there in, in Mosiah. You want to tell us a little more about that, Jay? Well, sure. They, it, people have wondered how much of, the, uh, of what was lost, how far did it go? And, and Joseph was instructed to start where he left off. And um, where he left off uh, is apparently Mosiah chapter 3, uh, or is when he started back up again. And that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. And on the printer's manuscript, uh, we'll show you, it's got a, chapter 3 gets crossed out and it starts with chapter 1. So what we, it, it could be that what we now have is chapter 1 in Mosiah was actually chapter 3. And it makes sense for a couple of reasons. One, it does seem to kind of jump right into that story. And two... Uh, there is, there's no heading for Mosiah. Uh, the books of Nephi have a translated portion that is an introduction to the book. Uh, and Mosiah does not have that. Well, and it, it, it helps me because it, you say it just kind of jumps into the story. I mean, and it, it really does. You don't, there's a obvious impact on this society at the time of uh, uh, King Mosiah uh, or, or excuse me, King Benjamin at the beginning of Messiah, uh, you, there's a lot of the King Benjamin story that appears to be missing, and uh, even his father, Messiah the uh, First. There's references, there's little hints through the book that there's more to that story, uh, but they're not there. Yeah, so that'll be fun when we get to those, uh, to those stories to kind of look for some of the, uh, the clues that can help us to, to fill it out. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about as far as the, uh, uh, you know, in our modern scriptures, this is, uh, most of you probably have uh, the 2013 edition of, of uh, the LDS scriptures, including the Book of Mormon. Um, and that includes the, the brief explanation about the Book of Mormon, the various plate sources. Um, that was something that was added in the, and that, that is something that is certainly not by the plates, or not on the plates. That was something that the church added later. Um, it's not in early editions of the Book of Mormon. They started it in the uh, 1920 edition. Uh, it was called the Brief Analysis of the Book of Mormon, and then it was later in 1981 changed to uh, uh, a brief explanation about the Book of Mormon and stays with us. But I think it's important to remember, and, and uh, you know, you talk about uh, the small and the large plates. Uh, there are also plates, clearly, that, that Mormon had created and, and perhaps even Moroni uh, uh, to, to, uh, for, for their own writing. We have the plates of Jared. Uh, and uh, it also mentions the plates of brass, and that's important uh, because that is uh, the, the uh, Book of Mormon people's Old Testament tie. You know, and we'll talk more about the plates of brass as we as we go in on on the story. Uh, anything else on the uh, on the plates, Jay? Oh, I think that's uh, good to be getting along with. I guess one last thing to say in regards to the introduction section, 
we've gone through this uh, in quite a summary, but if you're interested in a kind of complete overview of the Book of Mormon in eight minutes, I've got a video that I'll link in the description down below that um, I think you might find really useful, especially for your family or classroom use to, uh, to walk through the story from beginning to end and uh, talks about the Mulekites and the Nephites and the Jaredites. It's very, um, very, uh, well, I hope it's very straightforward and, and easy to follow. I, I agree, and I think it's actually, it, it, it's, it's uh, done in such a structure that it would be really good for any age group. I've certainly used that in, in my own family home evenings with my kids and so on and so forth. It's very easy to understand and uh, helps give you a good overview. Thanks for that, uh, for that mention. We'll definitely include uh, uh, links where available. Um, one other thought that I wanted to, to talk about, you know, I was... Uh, I was watching a few years ago, I was watching uh, a BYU uh, production on the origin of the Bible. Uh, it's called Fires of Faith. It's, uh, there's a, a book and a uh, DVD um, that are available through uh, Desert Book. I highly recommend those. They're very good. Um, and I was watching it. It was talking about the, um, uh, the compilation of the Bible, the first, the first real compilation of what we would recognize as an Old Testament and a New Testament and the, you know, all 66 books there, etc., uh, was done uh, by a man named Jerome in about 385 A.D. And it was fascinating to me when I was watching this. I thought, 385 A.D., what's happening in the Americas at 385 A.D.? And we know uh, from uh, the, Book of, uh, the Book of Mormon that this is about the time that Mormon is facing his last battle, has done his last work uh, on, on uh, his abridgment, and is handing his plates over to his son. Uh, it is absolutely fascinating to me that the Lord appears to be preparing uh, his scriptures for his church and his kingdom to come uh, at the same time in different places. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear uh, that uh, perhaps other scriptures that we don't quite have yet uh, were compiled around that time. You know, an Something interesting parallel, about. again, between uh, those, and that is really interesting to think about. Uh, the The other thing might be some thoughts about uh, the, the, the similarities between the Bible and the Book of Mormon as a record compiled at the time of the destruction of a people. So mm. when Lehi kind of a, left... Kind of a deathbed uh, testimony in yeah, a way. But specifically to family, too, which is interesting. So when, when Lehi leaves Jerusalem, not long after, Jerusalem is destroyed. And um, the, 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 the rest of the, the Jews are taken out into Babylon. But what's unique about the Babylonians versus the Assyrians, they were conquered about 100 years before that, is that when, let me rephrase, about 100 years before that, the Assyrians conquered Israel. Uh, yeah. When they took Israel out of their lands, they scattered them. For the Babylonians, when they took the Jews out of their land, uh, they allowed them to stay together. You have prophets like Ezekiel who are part of that, um, that group in exile. And they're they're in other countries, but they they still kind of the the Jews kind of still stay allowed together to have as, a, as a group. Yeah. yeah, they're allowed to have an identity uh, and be mm -hmm. together. And and so when 
a, a lot of scholars believe that it's during that time that in earnest books were assembled and oral traditions were written down and things were really pulled together. And part of that seems to be to try to, try to create an identity for themselves while they're out of their homeland. They're away from uh, where they believe God dwelled in his temple. And you know, you bring up a really good point uh, to, to, to further that idea. Uh, the, the earliest time, the first time that we're aware of uh, in which scripture was translated into a different language. The Old Testament uh, was mostly written in Hebrew. Uh, the first time that we have any record of it being translated from Hebrew into another language is at the time of the Babylonian captivity when it was translated into Aramaic. Uh, these are the Aramaic Targums uh, or the Babylonian Targums. Uh, and it, it's for that reason. You know, not only do they want to, uh, you know, not only do you have a situation where the uh, the rising generation doesn't speak Hebrew anymore. They speak Aramaic because they're in Babylon or this type of thing, and they need to be able to read the scriptures. But, you know, there's a, you're right to, to call out. There's this desperate attempt, hey, we're going to be destroyed, and we need to have a record. Well, and how, of, do, we, how do we keep our identity in this mm-hmm. new world? Right. Uh, and so th- those that, the records that were chosen and how they were uh, put together is a lot of saying, what does it mean to our offspring to be able to be children of God? And it wasn't, these stories weren't just people. These were relatives. You know, this was great-great-great-grandpa Abraham and mm-hmm. great-great-great-uncle uh, uh, Moses. And so it's a family history for them to keep their identity in this new world with this new language and this the, the modern situation that they found themselves in. The Book of Mormon, the same way. It's at the end, the destruction of the Nephite nation. Uh, it's a Mormon who's a descendant of Nephi is writing a family account of, of Lehi's people uh, to for a future generation, for Jew and Gentile. But it often refer, often references back to for the Lamanites, for for our for our people who for our posterity, uh, yeah, this yeah. is this is for you too, and it's to help to bring you to God and help you to know how to be. Well, and we'll talk more about this next week, but uh, this is obviously how the Book of Mormon starts and the importance of carrying that identity into a new world uh, that causes a uh, a. Uh, an extra trip, as it were, as Lehi leaves Jerusalem. But we'll talk about that more um, next week. Anyway, uh, shall we move on to the to the uh, testimonies? Yeah, I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts. What can we uh, what the can testimony we get from the testimonies? The testimonies of the three witnesses and the eight witnesses. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into the story behind this, but uh, uh, we. Uh, you know, we certainly are, are told in the Book of Mormon itself uh, that uh, God intended for there to be uh, additional witnesses other than the person uh, translating, uh, translating the Book of Mormon uh, of, of the work of the, of the plates. And uh, when this uh, portion of the Book of Mormon, particularly around the time that the, the, this uh, portion of the Book of Mormon uh, reminded us that there are going to be witnesses, uh, the Spirit touched three people, Martin Harris, Oliver Cowdery, and uh, David Whitmer, to ask the prophet to be those three witnesses. And uh, after prayer, they decided that, that you know, that's, that's what they will do. 
and uh, they went to the woods to pray. Uh, they, they had a vision of uh, an angel presenting the uh, golden plates uh, for them to see and uh, testifying that this was a, uh, you know, the work of God and, and this type of thing. Now, what's, what I like about the testimonies, uh, particularly of the, of the three witnesses, uh, there have been a lot of statements where this is uh, concerned, and, and I'm certainly going to add my own uh, element of, of uh, power where this is concerned. These three men had this glorious experience, testified of it. This testimony has appeared in every edition of the Book of Mormon. Um, and they had continued to testify of the truthfulness of this experience throughout their lives. Now, this is really important because all three of these men became disenfranchised with the church, were excommunicated. And one of them permanently so. David Whitmer never returned to the church. And yet, to their dying days, they still continued to testify of, of the truth of what they had seen. Now, I did a little research. I, I know there are several quotes uh, from, from these men, and uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to share all of them. But I would like to share at least one testimony from each of these uh, near the end of their lives. Now, the first one that I wanted to go over was uh, Martin Harris. Uh, Martin Harris, there are many stories about uh, uh, his testimony, and he bore a very powerful testimony. But one of the th ones that stuck out to me uh, was uh, it, it was said to have been on his deathbed in 1875. Um, Harris uh, had, had been uh, recorded to have said, the Book of Mormon is no fake. I know what I know. I have seen what I have seen, and I have heard what I have heard. I have seen the gold plates from which the Book of Mormon is written. An angel appeared to me and others, and testified to the truthfulness of the record. And had I been willing to have perjured myself and sworn falsely to the testimony I now bear, I could have been a rich man. But I could not have testified other than I have done and am now doing, for these things are true. I love that. Uh, there, That's a great so, quote. You know, it, it, we'll get more into this next year. Martin Harris certainly had his... Uh, he was a successful man. Uh, he had, uh, uh, in many ways, he had financed uh, uh, early printings of the Book of Mormon, and he had, he had given so much to the uh, formation of the church. Uh, I'm sure that was uh, a frustrating thing for him to work with. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that he calls out that, hey, if I wanted to lie, I could have been rich. I could have been wealthy. I could have been, you know... Uh, from a worldly perspective, happy. Uh, that's that's powerful stuff. So where where did you get this quote? Where did you see this? Now that quote, uh, it's from a, a book that I'm not sure is in print anymore. It's called The Case of the Book of Mormon Witnesses by Eldon Ricks. It was published in 71. Uh, check Deseret Book uh, or, or check uh, used, used sources. It might be available there. But uh, no, thanks for uh, reminding me that we need to tell you guys where we got these quotes. Um, so let's talk about uh, Oliver Cowdery then. Okay, so I have a quote from uh, Oliver Cowdery. Uh, this is an interesting story that was published in uh, the March 1912 Improvement Era. 
Now, the Improvement Era was a church magazine uh, before the Enzyme. It was uh, uh, late, uh, late 19th century, very late 19th century, and all the way up to 1970, uh, the Enzyme starting in 1971. So March 1912, Improvement Era, there's a story by Jacob F. Gates. Now, Jacob F. Gates, his father is Jacob Gates, so Jacob Gates Sr., and Jacob Gates uh, talks about a meeting he had, a personal meeting he had with Oliver Cowdery in 1849. So Cowdery passed away in 1850. Um, and so he, uh, this Jacob Gates Sr. met with Oliver Cowdery. And Oliver Cowdery said to him, Jacob, I want you to remember what I say to you. I am a dying man. And what would it profit me to tell you a lie? I know, said he that this Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. My eyes saw, my ears heard, and my understanding was touched. And I know whereof I testified is true. It was no dream, no vain imagination of the mind. It was real. That's another great one. That's now, Oliver Cowdery, both, both Martin Harris and Oliver Cowdery, Cowdery did later rejoin the church. Um... But uh, yeah, Cowdery in particular had uh, kind of a, a tear-filled uh, return after uh, the, the prophet had been martyred. Again, we can talk more about that stuff next year. Uh, but if I can share one more quote uh, from uh, David yeah. Whitmer. Uh, so David Whitmer, <clears throat> uh, one of the strongest of these testimonies, these deathbed testimonies, uh, was given just shortly before his death in a letter he penned to his local newspaper, the Richmond Conservator. It having been represented by one John Murphy of Polo Caldwell County, Missouri, that I, in a conversation with him last summer, denied my testimony as one of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon. To the end, therefore, that he may understand me now if he did not then, and that the world may know the truth, I wish now, standing as it were in the very sunset of life and in the fear of God, once for all to make this public statement, that I have never at any time denied that, that testimony or any part thereof, which was so long since been published with the, that book as one of the three witnesses, to those who know me best, well know that I have always adhered to that testimony and that no man may be misled or doubt my present views in regard to the same. I do again affirm the truth of all my statements as then made and published. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. It was no delusion. What is written is written. And he that readeth, let him understand." Great stuff. Now that oh, quote, uh, that that uh, uh, segment is actually from a an Enzyme article called the the uh, True to the Book of Mormon, the Whitmers. Uh, it's from Enzyme, uh, the February 1989 Enzyme. So if you want to look that up online, it's it's good article. It's That's good great. Okay, and there's one more thing that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to talk about with the spirit with the uh, three witnesses. So the three witnesses, um, there has been some criticism uh, throughout the years. And in fact, while they were still alive, uh, there, was, uh, there were those who, 
who uh, questioned whether or not the three witnesses actually saw what they saw. Were they having some sort of spiritual seance or uh, group hallucination or, you know, was this a, you know, somehow a mystical experience, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't real. And what's, what's, uh, what I find fascinating is that the witnesses themselves addressed it while they were still alive. Uh, yet that criticism still uh, still goes on today. There is a wonderful uh, couple of paragraphs that address this that I'd like to, to read for you now. Um, it says, Many Christians in Harris's day believed it was dangerous or impossible to witness the divine with the physical senses. This belief was rooted in stories from the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament, Israelites who peered into the Ark of the Covenant without proper authorization were destroyed. God's presence was typically hidden behind a veil or a cloud of smoke to shield the eyes of those who were not spiritually prepared. One of Joseph Smith's early revelations affirmed similarly that humans cannot see God with their natural eyes without being consumed. They could, however, witness his glory with spiritual eyes if they were changed or quickened by the Spirit of God. Okay, now with that in mind, uh, we've got an addition of Martin Harris considered the witness's experience with the angel and the ancient record to be just such an encounter with the divine. Similar to Joseph Smith's visions, conscious of the stern warnings of the scripture, he often spoke of the inadequacy he felt at the time he witnessed the plates. Over the years, he employed a variety of phrases to describe his extraordinary encounter. When pressed by various interviewers to clarify whether he actually saw the plates, he spoke of both seeing them with a spiritual eye, emphasizing the unusual and sacred quality of the experience, and also with the physical senses. As sure as you are standing there and see me, he insisted on one occasion, just as sure did I see the angel with the golden plates in his hand. David Whitmer similarly described both spiritual and physical dimensions of the witness's experience. Of course we were in the spirit when we had the view, for no man can behold the face of an angel except in a spiritual view, he explained, adding. But we were in the body also, and everything was as natural to us as it is at any time. Oh, that's fantastic. Now that one, uh, that that comes from the church's website, uh, fun little uh, section. Uh, the church published the gospel topics libraries. Uh, well, that was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? I mean, they, they've been 2013 is the gospel topics essays, and and uh, but right, yeah. they've been going. No, since. but this this is um, more recent. They've added uh, church history topics articles. Yeah, those and, came uh, out this... when the, the Saints book uh, was published. Uh, shortly nice. after that book became available, uh, more than 100 uh, articles came out in a uh, church history topics. Yeah, those are outstanding. And uh, this particular quote that I wrote, uh, I read about the spiritual eyes, etc., that comes from uh, the Witnesses of the Book of Mormon article from Church History Topics. Uh, definitely check those out. Those are available in the uh, Gospel Library uh, yeah, really wonderful. Uh, as as well as on online on the website. And Great lots stuff. and lots of interesting topics. 
So just pays. Well, now, the Jay, you had a thought on you had a thought on the uh, the interesting nature well, between the difference of the the three and the eight. Yeah, I, witnesses, you know, where we're talking about the spiritual eyes, etc. This ahead. is something that's really great to to relate, and and I got this from uh, listening to an interview with uh, Daniel Peterson. He was. Uh, saying that the power of these two sets of witnesses is the difference in the experience they had. In the first uh, experience of the, th- of the three witnesses, they would say things, uh, you could see it here in their testimony, uh, they'd been shown to us by the power of God and not of man. We declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down. A couple times they mentioned hearing the voice of the Lord. Uh, this is a very... Uh, it can be thought of as a very visionary experience, and yet the, um, uh, but not to be dismissed as such, as you've just pointed out, but in the testimony of eight witnesses, they had a very different experience. There's no angel. Uh, this is a very practical, very... Uh, uh, tactile? Yeah, tactile. All the six senses, they're in the, the woods, there's the plates, they, they handle the plates, um, it says that uh, they Smith showed them unto us. We've seen, we've hefted, we know of a surety uh, that he has the plates that he says he's had, that he has. And so if you wanted to dismiss one as visionary, uh, you can't then, you can't dismiss the others with that same lens. Or if you dismiss the eight witnesses, testimony is saying, well, somehow he just got a whole lot of gold and made these plates and fooled us. Well, then you've got the problem of the three witnesses who say, no, divine voice from heaven, angels, you know, this is this is a very different experience. So those two experiences together, uh, it just really make it impossible to get past those witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, uh, in a way that this is, these are, uh, we have uh, if, if, if you look at the uh, witness section of the, of the Book of Mormon, you have your two or three witnesses. You have the testimony of the three, you have the testimony of the eight, and you have the testimony of the prophet himself. Yeah. Uh, it's powerful stuff, agreed. Uh, great stuff. Uh, the testimony of the eight witnesses, uh, I, the only thing that I wanted to uh, uh, touch on there, I mean, you talked about the, the fact that this was much more of a physical experience, that there was really, you know, there's no discussion of an angel or any other kind of heavenly manifestation. This was a pragmatic, here are the plates, you can touch them, you can, you know, look at the scribbles on them and, and see that, yeah, he actually had what he said he had. Um, these eight witnesses, um, I would say that uh, it, it, it would appear that at least a majority stayed active in the church and were true to, their, uh, true to the church uh, till their dying day. But even those that fell away, uh, we have uh, three that I know of for sure, Jacob Whitmer, John Whitmer, and uh, Hiram Page. Uh, all three of those fell away from the church at, uh, at around the same time uh, as David Whitmer. This would have been 1838. Um, they were still uh, true to their testimony of the plates. Uh, others, uh, Christian Whitmer and Peter Whitmer Jr., had uh, passed away before the Whitmer family had a falling out with the church. Uh, Joseph Smith Sr. Uh, certainly uh, died in full fellowship as the, the first patriarch of the church. Hiram Smith, uh, you can't get any more uh, dedicated than that, uh, died with the prophet in Carthage jail. Mm. And uh, Samuel Smith, is, is uh, Hiram and Joseph's brother, 
uh, passed away about a month after uh, after the Joseph and Hiram had passed away uh, in full full fellowship. Yeah, and that's you know the Samuel Smith portion of it. I didn't actually uh, know that about him until I read the Saints book, that first volume, uh, yeah. and it's uh, yeah really touching. So again, if the you Saints want to know more book about is really this, remarkable, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't I, I can't we, we well we can't endorse that strongly enough. Uh, yeah. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, maybe you're more of an audio. Uh, book aficionado or a podcast, uh, there is an audio version of uh, of Saints. By all means, uh, pull it up in the Gospel Library app and listen. It's great stuff. Excellent. Well, good. Now, all right. to that end, we've got the, the testimony of the Prophet Joseph Smith uh, as the last page in our opening uh, materials. Uh, so much of that, again, uh, you know, will be covered next year and that um, uh, is covered so well in, in especially chapter three in the Saints book. Is there anything that you'd want to uh, bring out? You know, there's not a really a whole lot. Um, the the uh, This segment was actually not part of the early editions of the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's no, uh, uh, you know, full-on story about the, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon that was included with like the 1830 or the or additional uh, uh, editions of the Book of Mormon. It started in 1920 uh, where it was added. There was a smaller segment than we recognize today from it was added from the, the history of the church. Um, the, this is the B.H. Uh, uh, Roberts 1838 um, history of the church. Um this was added as the origin of the Book of Mormon. And in the 1981 edition, they expanded the story uh, uh, from Joseph Smith history and in, in the Pearl of Great Price and um, uh, added it as the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, we are, I'm sure we are all very familiar with the story of uh, uh, Joseph's conversion, his first vi- his first vision, his visit by Moroni, uh, and uh, but there again, uh, what's interesting is that uh, the testimony of the prophet uh, is from the history of the church. It's also included in the Joseph Smith history in the Pearl of Great Price. This is one telling of the story, and one of the things that uh, if you're if you're interested in all. Uh, Saints uh, covers uh, more sources uh, and and tells the story in a in a in a little bit uh, a different detail than you may have heard would be a good thing to uh, uh, to check in on, uh, but it it tells the uh, you know this tells the story of how we got the plates how they uh, came about. Um, it's a wonderful mixture between a miraculous story and a very human story. It is a very human story. Uh, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that uh, uh, Joseph is in his uh, late teens. When... Well, and you know what I loved about reading the, the account uh, from the various accounts in the Saints book is that, uh, and this is chapter three, this was my youngest son's favorite chapter because he could relate so much to what Joseph was going through. And we're going to see that uh, in the Book of Mormon. We're going to see a Nephi who is 
uh, becoming, who starts at a certain point and and grows and gets challenged and 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 has to overcome. And um, you know, here we've got we get to watch Joseph go through those same kinds of struggles, and I think it really offered a great window for my son and and I think could be for all of us to say that the Lord will work with us where we are and he doesn't expect us to get it right the first time and we'll just keep learning and growing and and yet he can still use us as as uh imperfect as we are the Lord can still use us to do great things you know you bring up a really good point and and you have to wonder if perhaps Joseph drew any kind of inspiration while he was translating uh, first nephi and oh i hope nephi. so uh I, yeah you, you could only hope uh no that's an excellent point well there we are we've 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 here's the introduction materials uh they're wonderful if there's anything in here that that stood out to you we you know whether it's a classroom or even in our family study we can't cover everything uh to think about as we as we study the, the block for the week and think about the block for the week as we think about what's going to bless, um, if we're in a teacher capacity, like a parent or a teacher, what's going to bless our students? What are what are they going to be able to take with them or what, what could I help them to discover uh, that will be uh, applicable to them? And uh, maybe there's something in what we've talked about that, that, that stood out to you more than something else. Spend some time focusing on that. Often it's the spirit that can uh, bring something to the forefront more than something else at a particular time of life for a particular reason. Uh, let's respect that in other people's journey and, and look for that in our own. Uh, with that said, I'm so excited to uh, well, be starting. Yeah, and that's that's an excellent point. And one of the things that I would uh, encourage you, certainly that there, um, you know, while while the text of the Book of Mormon is is really one of the more plain uh, in our LDS scriptures, uh, it's you're 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 still going to come across passages that you may not understand or that you may not uh, uh, be clear on what's going on. And the reality is just the fact I find that just the fact that you have dedicated your time to reading the Word of God, that you're focusing on uh, uh, our Heavenly Father, this can, enlighten you and bring the spirit into your 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 life into your home uh, in ways that can't be done any other way and while you may not even understand what you've read you may still receive inspiration from the spirit to either help clarify what you read or to help you in some area of your life where you 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 couldn't hear the spirit because you hadn't been tuning into it there's something about putting that on the altar and, really and, and saying, look, Lord, I dedicate this time to you, this effort to you, this, this, this pondering to you. Uh, that's absolutely true. That opens the door to revelation uh, in ways that we'll see play out in the book itself. And we're so excited to go through it. Well, that's, a, that's our show for this week. We're, we hope you got the, the most out of this that you can. If you have uh, uh, any suggestions as we move forward, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, but we expect to hear from us uh, every week. There's a lesson for the um, Come Follow Me, and we'll enjoy our journey together through the Book of Mormon. See you next time. 
This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we're really big fans. 